Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Casual Criminalist with me, your host, Simon. I'm here. One of my writers, in this case, Dave, has put me together a script. This one he did very quickly. <laughs> I feel like I ruined Dave's weekends. Because <laughs> Dave sent me a message and he was like, hey, Simon, did you see this in the news? And I was like, yeah, Dave, I saw this in the news. Everyone saw this in the news. Because today, you've probably seen from the title, we're talking about Lucy Letby, who has just been, as of yesterday evening or afternoon, convicted uh, of murdering a lot of babies and has been sent in well i'm not going to spoil it but dave he sends me this message on friday like yeah yeah, yeah i saw it dave and i'm like hey dave <laughs> i'll double your rate on the script if you get it to me by monday <laughs> and he's like it's my kids it was his kid's birthday no he was like going to a chessington world of adventures or something and then i felt bad and i was like no pressure and then i realized i'd given him pressure because it offered him like <laughs> a ton more money to do it and then I felt really bad about myself the whole weekend. And then he sent it to me on Monday. And then I felt slightly better about myself when I sent him a fat invoice. I mean, the other way around. He sent me a fat invoice and I sent him a fat amount of money, which made me feel better about myself, but not much better because I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, yes, that's a very long way of saying that this is all about Lucy Letby, who, as I said yesterday, this trial just concluded and sentencing just happened. So we're bringing you breaking not breaking news. This will probably come out on like Friday because obviously these take a while to edit. <laughs> I've also ruined Jen's having some help from a dude called Chris. Hello, Chris. He's probably editing this episode. He's <laughs> like, Chris, I need this by Friday, Chris. It will be done, my lord. On this day, several years ago, I left the Countess of Chester Hospital with my wife and newborn son. We did things the usual people do. Oh no, this was the hospital where it was happening. I totally glossed over that. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure. We did the usual things people do after leaving hospital with a new baby. We went to the McDonald's drive-thru in nearby Cheshire Oaks. Is that normal? <laughs> um, I remember when my first or both my kids are born, and it's I've never had a kid in the UK. Like, both of my kids have been born where I live in Prague, Czech Republic. And in the UK, you go into hospital, you have a baby, and then you go home, right? You don't spend time in hospital. Here, you'll spend like three or four days in hospital. Like, I think both times my wife gave birth, no complications, nothing like that. And she stayed in hospital for three nights afterwards. And the nurses, they like make sure that the baby's being fed correctly. They make sure that, you know... There's enough milk and all of this stuff and like that everything's all right. And then they run all these tests and they make sure that the baby can like see and hear properly and all that stuff. And then like three days, four days later, you know, they send you home. And it's very surreal because for the first few days, it's like, I have a son and I can only visit during visiting hours, which is like two hours in the afternoon. <laughs> I mean, obviously, while the kid's being born, you're there. And then it's like you just have visiting hours at the hospital for like the first three, four days. And so I'm, I'm just frantically getting everything ready that we hadn't got ready yet. And uh, just doing as much work as possible before uh, you know I take some time off with the, the new kid at home. And I think in the UK, you just have a baby and then like, all right, off you go. <laughs> Which would seem very intense now. Oh, it's not like I pay for some special health insurance. This is just the government standard health insurance. Life's not fair. We discussed how ridiculous it was that a member of staff had insisted on accompanying us to the car to ensure that we had a correctly fitted child seat. Yes, they do that as well. well like we walked because we live in a city and the hospital's like, it's literally like 10 minutes walk away. It's really nice. We didn't even like take the car when Mark's like, oh, it's coming. And I was like, okay, put your shoes on. 
<laughs> and we walked the five minutes to the hospital because it's, it's quicker than driving. Then we went home to begin that magical few months of sleep deprivation when you're never entirely sure whether you're asleep or awake. Ah, yes. When I think about the whole experience now, especially during the night, I often get out of bed, walk to my little boy's room, just stand there for a while, thinking about how lucky we were. Many other expected couples who checked into Countess of Cheshire Hospital were not so lucky, because you see, this hospital contained a monster. A nurse who was assigned to work with the most vulnerable individuals was, it transpires, actually working ceaselessly behind the scenes to make sure that not everybody left the hospital with a healthy child, as we were fortunate enough to do. In today's episode, we're going to take a look at exactly who this monster was, what she did, and the catalogue of alleged errors that allowed her to continue uninterrupted for so long. Ah yes, okay, alleged errors there, because it's like, okay, well there's been no like... I guess the civil cases or other criminal cases, if there's gross negligence, is not yet completed. Um, obviously, Lisey Letby is a f***ing murderer, and we could say that because she's just been convicted and, you know, sentenced to, uh, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Everyone knows how long she's gone to go into prison for. I don't know why I'm like, oh, maybe this is like less, this is news in America as well, right? Because I go to bbc.com, not bbc.co.uk, because... If you go to bbc.co.uk abroad, they redirect you to bbc.com, so you get like shoved tons of adverts in your face and more international news. And this was on the front page of that uh, of that website for a couple of days. Who is Lucy Letby? Unlike many of the criminals oh, we cover here, there were no early red flags that might indicate what Letby would become. Born in 1990, she grew up in Hereford, the only child in a stereotypically middle-class family. She attended the local comprehensive school before going on to study nursing at university. After completing her study, she moved to Chester, where she underwent another three years of training to become a children's nurse. During this time, she worked as a student nurse at both the Countess of Chester and the Liverpool Women's Hospital. After becoming a fully qualified nurse, she gained full-time employment in the latter in 2011. During her first years working there, she was described as both hardworking and sociable, but, and this is important, not unusually remarkable in any way. One article produced by ITV described her as nothing out of the ordinary, a beige character, even a girl-next-door type, affable and charming. Even after babies began dying at a disproportionate rate on her watch, people in charge had a hard time pursuing or even believing concerns that were raised against her. After all, she was just Lucy, the lovely nurse who worked in the neonatal unit. Much later, during her trial, Dr. Shoham Das, a criminal psychologist, said, quote, One thing that really strikes me about Lucy Letby's case is that there's no known history of previous offending, specifically no known history of previous violence. Having assessed hundreds of mentally distressed offenders, I would say that that's exceptionally rare. It's unlike anything I've ever seen in my career before. I know I keep bringing this up, but it perhaps goes some way to explaining why her horrific crimes went undetected for so long. End quote. Yeah, this is like one of those things because we have such human bias. We like look at someone and it's like, oh, look at the like Ted Bundy's always the example that gets brought up. Oh, look, he's, he's good looking and he's charming. He can't have murdered anyone. And it's like, that's just our human bias. And there's a lot of negativity around like um, GPT, chat GPT, and like it's, uh, you know, what it can do or what it can't do. And I'm like, but I don't know, I've messed around with its data interpretation quite a bit with like YouTube stats and, and all of that stuff and just being like, can you tell me anything about this data? Just like you can just upload like his analytics, tell me anything interesting. And you'll be like, I found this, I found that. And you're like, holy shit, I never even thought about that. I wonder, like, surely this like um, machine learning and neural networks can be applied to like this because... I feel just anywhere where there's, I've talked about it before, how it'd be a great idea for each hospital to just have a retired detective. Like, there should be a retired detective in each hospital. Like, I don't know how this actually works in real life, but in the TV show Scrubs, right, they have Ted the lawyer. And he's, like, around to make sure that, you know, everyone's, like, you know, not doing stuff that's going to get them sued. How about there's also, you know, detective 
Ted equivalent, who's got an office in the hospital, and he just walks around being suspicious of people. And it's kind of like, you know, the military police or internal affairs at the police. And it's just a detective, an old detective, who's retired, and he comes in like a few days a week and he just makes sure that everything's kosher. But what I was thinking, one of the most important things is to avoid the biases right? And computers are really good at ignoring biases. And now, with this like machine learning stuff, they're really good at interpreting data. So how about we just start putting all of hospitals' data, like all of this, about the nurses, about the doctors, about the admin, about the like diseases, just start dumping that into like machine learning stuff, obviously have someone check it very thoroughly afterwards and be like, no, does anything suspicious? Anything weird? Any, th any of these doctors or nurses have any like outliers? And it'll just interpret all the data and be like, yeah, maybe this guy. And then, you know, your resident detective or whatever can look into it. Because there's way too much of this stuff happening. And one thing is enough. And you know the stuff that goes undetected. And you know there's just people who are shit at their jobs. It's not just like, you know, malevolence, like let be. It's also, I'm sure there's nurses and doctors who are just a bit shit and keep killing their patients. And it's like, well, how about we uh, just start using the amazing technology that we have to start analyzing that data. Sorry, this is a huge tangent. It just seems like, surely, please tell me like some, you know, big brain is out there working on that. Come on now. On the, maybe they do it already. Maybe this has been around forever. Please someone comfort me in the comments and tell me that that is true. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening as a podcast, you can't do that. So check it out on YouTube. I don't know. <laughs> what do you want to do? Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Most people think they're spending $80 on their subscriptions a month, that, which is already a lot. You don't know what the real figure is? The reality is it's much closer to $200 a month. And the thing is, like, I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm closer to 80. I'm closer to 80. But the reality is, like, no, I'm not. I know it's way more than 80. Because once you're like, oh, yeah, I got YouTube. And then I got, like, Spotify. And then I got Apple Music as well. And then I got Tidal. <laughs> it's like, why do I need three? Oh, God, I just realized I had the other one. That I've forgotten. What's the other? Oh, YouTube Music's in there as well. There's a four. I swear there's a fourth music service I subscribe to. It's embarrassing. I should sort this out with Rocket Money, shouldn't I? The worst ones, though, are those free trials where they're like, oh, yeah, 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 it's free. And you just, you know how easy it is on your phone? You're just like, boop, boop. And they're like, don't forget, we'll bill you in a week. And you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then the thing is, like, six years later, you're still paying for it. I just, I had one that I was like, I don't even know what this is. It was like generic company ABC, you know, on the, on the bill. And I'm like, I just, I just have no idea what this is. And so I just cancelled it and I didn't miss anything. So I'm like, okay, I was just paying someone for years money that I didn't need to. And it was expensive. It was like $30 a month or something. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> it's just like, I'm done with that. Look, with Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. No more long hold times or annoying emails with customer service. Rocket Money does all of the work for you. Rocket Money can even negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Why wouldn't you do that? This is just a no-brainer. Rocket Money also lets you monitor all of your expenses in one place, recommend custom budgets based on your past spending, and they'll even send you notifications uh, when you've reached your spending limits. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved an average of $720 a year. Yes, please. Why wouldn't you get this? Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash casual. That's rocketmoney.com slash casual. Rocketmoney.com slash casual. And now back to today's show. The Killing Spree. 
On the 8th of June 2015, two twins, who to protect their anonymity we will refer to as Child A and Child B, were born six weeks premature at the Countess of Chester Hospital. Although premature, staff at the hospital had no reason to believe that, given time and appropriate medical care, they would not eventually go home with their families and lead perfectly healthy lives. Sadly, Leppy had other ideas. 30 minutes after she came on duty for the night shift, Child A deteriorated rapidly and unexpectedly. 90 minutes after she started work, he was dead. Prior to this child's death, Levy had alerted both the doctor and a consultant to unusual patches of discoloration on his skin. In reality, she was completely aware of why this was, but appears to have wanted to cover up what she had done by showing concern and involving others. Almost immediately after coming on duty, Letby had injected air into the bloodstream of child A, causing an IV air embolism and deliberately murdering the first vulnerable victim in her care. Why the f*** would you do this? I, it's just such a beyond strange thing to do. It's a monstrous thing to do, obviously, but the strain, but the, the, the thing that's most baffling is it's just fucking bizarre. There's murders that I understand, even like depraved sh- It's like, oh, well, you know, like he's a sexual bitter and his brain is broken. And then he wanted to cover up the fact that it's, you know, R-worded someone. So he M-worded them. It's like, I don't like it, but I'm also like, okay, yeah, he's just like, Although I guess she's just messed up in the head as well. But it seems just like a totally different, like bizarre, like bizarre. After going off shift, she sent the following message to a colleague. Dad was on the floor crying, saying, please don't take our baby away when I took him to the mortuary. It's just heartbreaking. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. What the f***, man? What is going on? Although you might think sending such a message is not particularly unusual, she did something else as well, something that she did almost every time she took a life. She repeatedly searched on Facebook for the parents of child A. It was later claimed that she did this as some sort of perverse attempt to fully experience what she had done, almost as if she was thriving on the grief of those left behind. Your brain is so What the f*** happened to you? Understandably, the parents of child A were utterly crushed, but they still had a surviving child, and at least- Oh god, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. And at least one member of the family is said to have stood by her bedside for the entire day. However, when the lovely children's nurse came back on duty that night, they appear to have relaxed a little. I imagine that they'll regret this relaxation for the rest of their lives. 28 hours after murdering child A, let be injected child B with air. This time, she was not so lucky. The alarm was sounded, and after being resuscitated, a second victim would make a full recovery. Oh, thank God. Now, you might think that if one baby died on your watch and the second baby died nearly the next day, you might want to take a break, or at the very least, take on alternative or lighter duties for a bit, but not let be. Um, so, I think it's not like, okay, but also, you're a nurse, you're going to lose people, and I think some people react, would react like, I need to take some off. I don't think I'd react that way. If, if I was in this situation and I was a nurse and two, I hadn't killed anybody and two people died on my watch, I'd be like, no, I'm going back to work. Let's get back to work. I'm going back to work. Let's go. Let's go. Sign me up. Like, I just want to be get back into it and make good. Three days after her first murder, she sent a text message to her manager asking to pick up extra shifts. From a confidence point of view, I need to take an ITU baby soon. X. Okay, so she, I guess this is some like talk. Like, was there an X there? Is she signing off with a kiss? That's weird. I don't know what that means, um, but obviously she wants more work. I don't think that's super weird because I just explained, like, I'd also be like, I just need to work. On the 14th of June, she had another text message conversation with a colleague, during which time she sent the following message. I just keep thinking about Mon, Monday, death of child A. I feel like I need to be in room to overcome it, to get the image out of my head. It probably sounds odd, but it's how I feel. 
Less than 10 minutes after this conversation reached its conclusion, another alarm sounded within the hospital. Despite not being the designated nurse, Levy was discovered standing over the monitoring equipment for Charles C. Tragically, Charles C. would also die. The cause? Air injected into his stomach by Letby. Just eight days later, on June the 22nd, she would strike again. Using the same method that had proved so effective with Child A, Letby injected air into the bloodstream of a baby girl. Once again, the alarm was sounded as Child D collapsed. Although she would make a brief recovery, she collapsed twice more with the last incident being fatal. Other medical professionals who attended during the resuscitation attempts noticed the same patches of skin discoloration that appeared on Child A, but failed to link the two cases. This is the sort of thing that I imagined, like if that's being plugged into your big machine learning AI bot, it'd be like, blip, 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 blip. Hmm, interesting. Patchy skin, huh? And then it would look in its giant medical brain and be like, patchy skin, patchy skin. Related to this, same nurse. Alarm bells. Then they're called Detective Ted. And be like, yo, detective, have a look. In a further attempt to garner sympathy from her colleagues, as well as to cover up her abhorrent acts, Lebby sent the following message the very next day, quote, On a day-to-day basis, it's an incredible job with so many positives, but sometimes I think, how do such sick babies get through and others just die so suddenly unexpectedly? Guess it's how it's meant to be. I think there is an element of fate involved. There is a reason for everything. At this point, you might reasonably be wondering, why has nobody noticed all these strange deaths? Well, as it turns out, people had noticed. Shortly after the death of Child D, Dr. Stephen Breary, the head consultant in the neonatal unit, carried out a review of the three unusual deaths in June. As part of his findings, he informed Alison Kelly, the director of nursing and deputy chief executive, that Lebby was the only nurse on duty during each of the deaths. Um, okay. <laughs> there better be a big old investigation right now. Not only does it appear that his concerns were dismissed, the f- he has since told the BBC Panorama that it seemed like the hospital was looking for any way out that would not involve the police. When asked, that is not cool. That is not okay. Look, this is why you need that detective in the hospital. Because someone should be reporting on this. Okay, the doctor's going to be like, don't make the hospital look bad. And the detective should be like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, that's not my job. I don't care. Like, the worse my hospital looks, the better it looks like I'm doing my job. So let's go. <laughs> There's too many conflicts of interests. There's too much mess going on. We need to, this needs to be, I'm sure they have ways to combat this, but it just doesn't seem like they're doing a very good job of it. When asked if he believed there had been a cover-up, he responded by saying, I don't know how you define a cover-up, but to us, the evidence in front of us was quite clear. It felt like they'd try to engineer a narrative, some way I wish it didn't involve the police. If you want to call that a cover-up, then that's a cover-up. He'd go on to say, it's something that nobody really wants to consider, that a member of staff might be harming the babies under their care. Some of the babies didn't respond to resuscitation as we would have expected. In those cases, babies would usually regain a normal heart rate and improve breathing, but that didn't happen in these cases, as we'd expect, which was unusual. It was quite surreal because as a group, our concerns were rising. There was no communication from senior managers in the trust. The trust is like the the group of hosp the group of hospitals. Um, they have like these primary care trusts, PCT, something like that. Like my family work in in medicine. Well, they did. Well, they do. Like some of them. And so I have like vague ideas of how this works from like dinner conversations. You might think that even if there was the slightest suspicion that one of the nurses at the hospital might have been murdering babies, those in charge would have at the very least taken the precaution of moving her somewhere else or temporarily placing her in an administrative role. But no, not only was Letby allowed to continue working with vulnerable babies, Breary and another of other, other consultants were forced to apologize to her and threatened with consequences if they did not immediately drop the matter. This is... Where is the accountability? Where is the non-biased person who looks at this objectively and be and is like no no there's something up here they shouldn't be apologizing 
this should be looked into more thoroughly. I don't understand. I don't understand how this is not something that's up. There's a brilliant book that I've mentioned many times, maybe not on this show, called uh, Black Box Thinking. By an author whose name I don't remember, Matthew something or other. And he talks about how the airline industry solved this problem. They're like, yo, you can report on anything. I think it's like within the first 24 hours. Like if you do something wrong, like you're like, oh, yeah, I just forgot to put down the landing gear. Like some absurd thing. If you say that within 24 hours, they're like, cool, no problem. Thank you for reporting it. We're going to work out what went wrong. And because you reported it, it's like, obviously, you're a competent pilot. You got a pilot's license. You just forgot to put down the landing gear. Obviously, something happened. And it's always like, oh, they were distracted by this. This happened that led to this that led to that. And there's always a reason. And then they fix the problem. And in that book, Black Box Thinking, he was talking about this and calling for this. And it still seems to not be properly implemented, which is bizarre. Unfortunately for Let These Future Victims, they capitulated, and she received the following letter. Dear Lucy, would like to apologize for any inappropriate comments that may have been made during this difficult period. We're very sorry for the stress and upset that you have experienced in the last year. Please be reassured that patient safety has been our absolute priority during this difficult time. Well, I'm sure that everybody involved will forever wish that they'd pursued the matter. Had they tried a little harder, then several lives would have been spared. Perhaps more concerningly, had Let Be simply stopped at this point, there is an extremely high likelihood that she would have never been caught. That's just terrifying. Because think of the stats on crimes. And think of the stats in medicine. And think how many times this could have possibly happened and people have just gotten away with it and continue to get away with it. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if it's like my stupid idea of putting a detective, a retired detective in hospitals, but something has to be done. Presumably brimming with confidence after having gotten away with no fewer than three murders, Letby still decided to take a short break. However, on the 3rd of August 2015, she struck again. Child E was born several weeks premature, along with his twin brother, Child F, and weighed less than 1.4 kilograms, or three pounds. In a heartbreaking twist of fate, his mother very nearly caught Letby in the act. When dropping off expressed breast milk for her twins, she came across the nurse standing with her baby. Her young boy had fresh blood around his mouth and appeared to be in extreme distress. When she asked what was wrong with him, Letby said that the blood was just a result of his feeding tube rubbing against his throat and she shouldn't worry about it. Unfortunately, she took her word for it, as well as her advice to take the opportunity to get some rest. After all, they'd be leaving for a different hospital the next day because both babies were making such remarkable progress. Two hours after that, the doctors were fighting to save Child E. This tiny, premature baby had lost about a quarter of the blood in his body. Shortly after 1am, doctors would lose the fight and he'd slip away. The bleed that has taken his life was the direct result of Letby roughly interfering with the feeding tube in his nose. I don't like this. So devastated was the mother by her loss that she allowed the murderer to wash her deceased child before taking it down to the morgue. Next, let me turn to the other twin, Child F, this time presumably in an attempt to prevent a pattern from emerging. She attempted a different strategy. Shortly after Child F was born, he was prescribed a tiny amount of insulin to help regulate his blood sugar levels. This provided Letby with an excellent opportunity. She laced his fluid bag with a huge overdose of insulin and also added some to the replacement bag that would be given to the child later. These combined doses would have undoubtedly been enough to kill him. Fortunately, when it became obvious that this next baby was in trouble, doctors swapped the fluid bags. When it made no difference, they removed them entirely. Once insulin was no longer entering the child's body at an alarming rate, he began to recover quickly. Later tests showed that child F had extremely high insulin levels along with very low C-peptide levels in the blood. It was conclusive proof that someone had given him a large, unprescribed dose of insulin and that a poisoner was at work. In an oversight, the magnitude of which is difficult to describe using only words, when these test results came back to the ward a couple of weeks later, doctors did not immediately register the significance and the murderer was still permitted to remain at large. So how can this possibly have happened? 
According to an article in The Guardian, to quote, one senior doctor who analyzed Letby's victims said they were selected carefully, not chosen at random. Almost all had other vulnerabilities, such as extreme prematurity or inherited conditions that gave her plausible deniability when they died. Deaths on the unit, although rare, were described by doctors as expected and explainable. Baby's very presence on the neonatal unit meant that they were incredibly fragile, and Letby's victims were often the most vulnerable of these. The majority required round-the-clock intensive care treatment rather than just needing feeding and monitoring. The quote ends. Even so, if we take into account that several senior doctors were already incredibly suspicious, it seems implausible that nobody would have connected these events. Between September 2015 and June 2016, Letby would murder, or attempt to murder, another 10 babies, mostly by injecting air into the bloodstream or stomachs. On the 24th of June, Dr. Breary contacted the hospital's duty executive, Karen Rees, insisting that Letby must immediately be removed from the ward. Good for you, Dr. Breary. Even with the mountain of evidence now stacked against the nurse, Rees insisted that she was safe to work and would take personal responsibility for any more mysterious deaths that occurred. It appears that Breary was not going to take no for an answer this time because she was finally moved to a clerical role within the hospital. Wow. And that's his boss, right? Who was this? The duty executive? So that's Breary's boss. And he's like, no, I'm pushing this issue. I'm fucking pushing this issue. Legend. Is this the guy I saw interviewed? There was a guy interviewed by BBC or something. And he was just talking about it. And it was just like, holy sh**. Like, this whole interview was just like... Just, I mean, I, I'll see if I can find it and put a link in the description or something. But it's, like, it's just chilling. Unfortunately, this clerical role was in the Risk and Patient Safety Office, where she not only had access to sensitive documents from the neonatal ward, but was also working in close proximity with senior managers whose job it would have been to investigate her. How about, no senior managers, where's Detective Ted? Senior managers investigating it. How about you let them manage, and instead of that, have a guy who's actually good at investigating death in there. Later that same year, the Countess of Chester Hospital stopped accepting babies born before 32 weeks of pregnancy were up. This was apparently partially due to the increase in infant mortality rates. An independent review was carried out by the Royal College of Pediatricians and Child Health, along with the Royal College of Nursing, but this review was unable to pinpoint one single cause for the increase in mortality rates. In 2017, the hospital finally contacted the police. In a statement, they said this was to seek assurances that enable us to rule out our natural causes of death. On the 3rd of July 2018, one year after the police investigation began, Letby was arrested on suspicion of murdering eight babies and attempting to murder a further six. So what finally got her arrested? The investigation. Once the police became involved, perhaps because they were not protecting their own interests, the evidence against her, yes, 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 exactly, thank you. When the police searched her property, they came across a number of interesting things. In a bag under her bed, she had many of the handover sheets related to her victims. For those of you who don't know, and I certainly didn't, handover sheets contain confidential information about patients that are given to nurses at the start of every shift. Okay, didn't know that, it's good to know. These documents are not supposed to leave the hospital. In all, she had stolen 21 of these documents, along with the results of a blood test from one of her victims. In addition to these, she had, in a special box that she had decorated with roses, a further 99 such handover sheets relating to different babies that she had treated all the way back to when she was a student. Further searching reveals handwritten resuscitation notes on many of her victims, along with a diary which, among other things, contained a message that read, I don't deserve to live. I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough to care for them. And I am a horrible, evil person. And in capital letters, I am evil. 
I did this. Oh boy, <laughs> don't write down your crimes. But perhaps the most despicable thing that she had kept was found. Oh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Dave was found by police officers who examined her mobile phone. Apart from discovering that she'd repeatedly searched for the parents of her victims on social media, including on Christmas Day, she'd taken a photograph of a condolence card that she'd sent the parents of one of the victims. It simply read, Sorry I couldn't be there to say goodbye. The phone also contained a photograph of a thank you card that she'd been sent by the family of one of the babies that she murdered. Doff. Wow, British people are so polite. If I was in the hospital and my kid died, Jesus, I don't even like saying that. I don't even like thinking about this. But it's like, in this situation, I definitely wouldn't be like, oh, I've got to send a thank you card. <laughs> I'll just be like, oh, for fuck's sake. Just need to get on with my life. If they'd saved someone, then I'd be like, yeah, let's go. These people truly believed that she had done everything in her power to help, and even in their darkest hour, a time when you really don't want to speak to anybody about anything, they'd made an effort to express their gratitude. All of this evidence could be, and was, used against her in her trial. Good. <laughs> If this was in America, I'd be like, strap her to the chair, strap her to the chair. But unfortunately, we don't execute people in Britain. And I say unfortunately, I really do mean that sometimes. I really do. I really do. Like in this case, it'd just be like, yeah, fucking kill her. Fucking kill her. She deserves to die. She also, she says she deserves to die. Let's kill her. <laughs> I don't know if Dave will be happy with me sharing this. But we're messaging back and forth about the script and the the, uh, the sentence comes in, which is not death because it's not possible. And he's like, <laughs> I imagine that time in prison will be short and unpleasant. And I'm like, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> and not because she's getting released, but because she killed babies. She's not going to have a good time. She's not going to have a good time. Trial, conviction and sentencing. As the trial began, many people were particularly interested in finding out just what could have led to such an outwardly normal individual committing such heinous crimes. Although she'd constantly claimed to be innocent, just how would she react when confronted with both the evidence found in her house and the reams of medical evidence? Well, according to Judith Moritz, a BBC News journalist who sat through the entire trial, she did not react at all. In an article published on the BBC website, she wrote, quote, My birth on the press bench was no more than five metres away from Letby's seat. Every so often, I'd look at the nurse and try to catch a glimpse of character. As bereaved parents recounted the horrors of watching their children die, the nurse maintained a neutral expression, no matter how emotionally charged the evidence was. She sat passively. Now, for both the sake of Simon and of those of you watching, I'm not going to provide too many more of the distressing details. Oh, thank you. But I feel it is necessary to include some of the testimony given by the parents of the victims. The following witness statement is from the mother of the twins, child A and child B. Oh, I don't know, Dave. I don't know if I can sit through even one of these. These children, if you remember, were born six weeks premature. This is only an extract from the statement, as much of it refers to things that are not relevant to the case. The mother and an emergency caesarean section as her blood pressure levels were high and the twins were delivered. Afterwards, the doctor was surprised at how well she was doing and the mother asked if she could see her children. She was told that once she was well enough to sit in a chair, she'd be taken to see them. As time passed, she said... I was getting a little anxious, as I just wanted to see my children. It was about 12 to 1 p.m. on June the 8th when I went to see child A and B, who were both in incubators. She stayed with the twins for about an hour and was told to rest on the advice of the nursing staff back in her room. At about 8 p.m., a male staff member came into the room. You need to come in quickly. There's something wrong with twin two. All I can remember is coming in and seeing what I felt like hundreds of people trying to resuscitate child A. The mum was asked for permission by medical staff to stop resuscitative efforts. I couldn't bring myself to say stop. The only thing I could bring myself to do is just nod my head. One of the things that upsets me most is I never had the chance to hold him in my arms. 
After saying goodbyes to child A, upon her return, she was asked if she wanted to hold child B, who couldn't be out of the incubator for a prolonged period of time. I felt joy and sadness at the same time. End quote. At 11.55am, the couple were woken up by a female member of staff to come quickly to see child B. She said, my heart sank. Not my baby. Not again. They were told child B had a similar situation to child A, but had stabilized. The statement goes on to say that the mother was told by hospital staff that it was likely that the death of her child and near death of her other child were caused by pre-existing blood condition. Of course, this information would later prove to be incorrect. Although the trial started in October, according to Moritz, it wasn't until February that this callous murderer showed even a hint of emotion. However, this emotion was not brought on by a particularly harrowing piece of witness testimony, but by the voice of a doctor with whom she was allegedly having an affair. Although she moved, was moved to tears on a few occasions, it was only when aspects of her life or her feelings were revealed to the court. In fact, when the prosecutor, Nick Johnson KC, began cross-examining her, one of the first questions he asked was, is there any reason you cry when you talk about yourself, but you don't cry when talking about these dead and seriously injured children? I said, she's a tough person. Given the prosecution had pretty much rock-solid evidence, complete with document and medical evidence, expert witness testimony, and potentially a written confession, the defense, at least in my non-legally trained opinion, appeared to be fairly weak. Benjamin Myers Casey attempted to explain away the notes that Letby had written, as we mentioned earlier, by saying, quote, It is a note written in anguish and despair. She was going through a grievance procedure with the NHS at the time and knew what was being said about her before her arrest. The allegations were destructive. The note is headed, Not good enough. It does not say guilty. The quote ends. Now, to be fair to him, this is probably the strongest part of his case. You could very reasonably argue that someone who was genuinely struggling with the loss of so many patients might well start to believe that it was their fault, even if it were not. However, that is where the plausible part of his argument ends, in my opinion. Okay, it's not a bad way to spin it, but come on. Come on, please. As for how the defense explained away the substantial body of other evidence, Myers appeared to fall back on one of the oldest get-out-of-jail-free gambits of all time. It was a massive coincidence. Let be being present during every incident? A coincidence. Let be quite literally being caught in the act? A coincidence. The fact that after Letby was removed from the neonatal wards, these inexplicable deaths stopped, and since then, there have only been one or two premature baby deaths a coincidence. Again, this is only my opinion, but you might be able to explain away two or three such incidents as a coincidence, but when you start getting into the double digits, the likelihood of that being the case becomes almost negligible. As for exactly what Letby was doing with all that hospital paperwork at her house, she genuinely told the court that she collected paper, and that explains it. The very last thing I want to do is treat this case with anything less than the gravity it deserves, but some of these arguments are best ridiculous. In this case, though, my opinion doesn't matter in the slightest. However, the opinion that did matter was that of a jury made up of 12 of her peers. So what did they think? Was Lucy Letby a kind, hardworking, conscientious nurse who had the misfortune to fall foul of an extraordinary run of unfortunate coincidences? Or was she a cold, calculating psychopath who used her prodigious medical skill to go on a killing spree that lasted for the better part of a year? After deliberating for more than a hundred hours, the foreman of the jury delivered the verdict. Letby was found guilty of seven murders and the attempted murder of six others at the Countess of Chester Hospital Neonatal Unit between June 2015 and June 2016. In actual fact, the verdict was delivered in three stages, but that was the final result. Carrying out the ultimate act of disrespect to the families, Letby refused to come up from the cells to hear her final verdict. As the court was adjourned for the weekend, with sentencing scheduled to take place on the 21st of August, Letby was returned to prison. Yeah... Um, this is a thing in the UK. You don't have to be there at your sentencing. They can sentence you and you just stay in prison and then they're like, and you stay in prison forever. You don't have to go. 
And uh, the PM, I think this weekend said that they, or like after this said, they're planning to change the law. So you do have to be there for your sentencing, which I think is nice. I imagine that forefront in her mind were the words of the prosecutor during his final speech to the court. During the summing up, he requested that due to the severity of the offences, the early release option for life sentences be removed and that let me spend the rest of a natural life behind bars, which is incredibly unusual. This happens like a couple of times a year, maybe, that people get what we call a whole life order or a whole life sentence, where they're like a life without parole, I think is what Americans call it. Uh, it's very rare. On the day of sentencing, let me once again refuse to attend court. The judge's sentencing remarks were lengthy, but I've included a few key points. Quote, the defendant, Lucy Letby, has refused to attend court for this sentence hearing. Accordingly, I have sentenced her in her absence. I shall deliver the sentencing remarks as if she was present to hear them, and I direct that she is provided with a transcript of my remarks and copies of the victim personal statements read to the court. You acted in a way that was completely contrary to the normal human instincts of nurturing and caring for babies, and in gross breach of the trust that all citizens place in those who work in the medical and caring professions. The babies you harmed were born prematurely, and some were at risk of not surviving, but in each case, you deliberately harmed them, intending to kill them. In your evidence, you said that hurting a baby is completely against everything that being a nurse is, as indeed it should be. You also claimed you never did anything that was meant to hurt a baby, and only ever did your best to care for them. That was but one of the many lies you were found to have told in this case. It is no part of my function to reach conclusions as to the underlying reason or reasons for your action, nor could I, for they are known only to you. I must pass appropriate sentences according to the law, addressing the seriousness of your offences. Lucy Letby, on each of the seven offences of murder and the seven offences of attempted murder, I sentence you to imprisonment for life. Because the seriousness of your offences is exceptionally high, I direct that the early release provisions do not apply. The order of the court, therefore, is a whole life order on each and every offence, and you will spend the rest of your life in prison. And so that ends the story of Britain's most prolific child killer in legal history. Never again. It just happened so recently. It happened so... This feels like one of those historic cases, you know, like you read about like Shipman. Not historic, but like from when I was a boy. And this is like 2016. It's like I was an adult man. I remember 2016. Like properly. And this was happening. And it's one of the worst ever. This needs to change. Never again will she be in a position from which she can hurt another child. However, there are a few questions that remain. Arguably, the most important question is how. How was this allowed to happen? How is it that seven experienced and well-respected consultants were ignored, brushed off, and eventually threatened with a referral to the General Medical Council when they raised concerns about the conduct of a nurse? I've given this matter serious consideration and I've arrived at two conclusions. Firstly, and most concerningly, the management of the Countess of Chester Hospital during this period was deeply flawed, bordering on negligence, in Dave's opinion and possibly my opinion as well. There is no simple way that so many babies should have been able to die unexpectedly without a proper thorough investigation being carried out. Even if suspicions had been raised by another nurse or even a member of the public, it should have been thoroughly looked into. The hospital has claimed that new systems are in place and better lines of communication have been established between doctors and managerial staff, but I imagine that this is a very little comfort to the families of the victims. Show me. Show me those systems. I want more information. Secondly, no matter what else she might be, let be as akin to something of an evil genius. <laughs> I don't like using that word. Genius is positive. Even like evil genius has positive connotation. She's not an evil genius. She is deceptive. She's good at deception. 
That's it. That doesn't require genius. It's just lying. It requires acting. She deceived her family, her friends, her colleagues, her superiors. There is no doubt in my mind that the main reason she was able to get away with it for so long is that everybody fell for her perfectly crafted persona. Yeah, it's not genius, it's acting. Nobody likes to admit that they were wrong about somebody, and she was such a good actor that the idea of lovely nurse Lucy being a baby-murdering serial killer was so unpleasant for those that knew her that they began, perhaps even subconsciously, to refuse to see evidence that should have been obvious. As I said earlier, if she had stopped after the third murder, she would probably still be at large to this day. It really does make you wonder how many people, people who were perhaps a little more careful, have completely gotten away with similar crimes in the past. And that is exactly why we need to have something impartial, something that isn't fooled by people who can wear a mask and just looks at the data. That's where I'm ending today's episode. Thanks for being here. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.